So this is the season, isn't it? Like we are, we are quickly ramping up. It's a season where people are going to graduation parties and graduations, or maybe you are graduating. It's where people are going fishing and boating and just going to be in the sun because it's not snowing, you know, so we're excited. Like we're, we're getting outside. And I think oftentimes when we look at these transitions in life, whether it's the summer season or whatever's going on, I think it's a natural time where we start to ask questions like, what do I want from the Lord? And I think when we say, what do I want from the Lord? We always come back with the same sort of answers. We say, well, I want the Lord to help me to swim one more lap in the pool. I want to run one more mile. I, I want to uh, jump into the deep end when it comes to faith. I want him to help me and bless me and protect me. Like, that's what I want. But what if we ask a different question? What do you think the Lord wants from you? How, how would you answer that? What, do, what does the Lord want from you as we're going into this summer season? What, what could you do that would make the Lord smile or laugh? Or I don't know if he giggles. I would think he giggles. I don't know if he giggles or not. But what would make him giggle? You know, a few weeks ago, we had the uh, child dedication during Mother's Day. Do you remember that? And I talked about how every stage of life should be your favorite when it comes to, to kids. You know, the, the college years, they're, they're the best. And middle school, they're, they're the best. And, but one of my favorites is when they're, not like itty, itty, itty bitty, but like pretty small. I like whenever like little kids start to laugh because like they don't care what the rest of the world thinks about them. They haven't learned to, to be consumed with that yet. And so they start to smile and then they start to laugh and then they belly laugh and they laugh up until the point that they shake and they go, <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden we become self-conscious and we quit that. Anyway, when I hear that, it just reminds me in such a powerful way of what an awesome God we serve. It is so good. Again, good morning, everyone. I am Billy Creech. I have the honor of being your campus pastor. And today, today's a fun day. Today's a unique day. Normally, all 14 campuses, we're all in the same sermon series at the same time. But today, we're all going freestyle. Like today, we all just to get preach whatever's on our heart. So today really is that message to say as we're looking at the upcoming season, I, I'm just kind of laying some things that are on my heart out to you as we look at how to best prepare for that coming season. But before I get into the coming season, let me talk about the past season just for a moment. First of all, last week. Last week, we had our annual celebration. Thank you for all you who showed up at the Troy camp. It was cool. Like, man, when you get 14 plus campuses together, worshiping together, it's powerful. It is so, so powerful. And then the stories that we got a chance to hear, if you missed it or if you did not uh, get your annual report, here's how you can get a copy of it. I want everyone to have a chance to see the way the Lord has been working in and through Woodside. So woodsidebible.org slash annual report, or you can text report to that phone number and get a copy. And there, there's some of the stories that we had a chance to see videos of. You'll be able to read those stories, so please make sure you do that. But also talking about this past season, uh, Pastor Steve was the campus pastor here for the last five years. And during the last five years, this place saw incredible growth. And when people like me talk about growth, everyone always immediately goes to, well, you mean attendance. And yeah, I do mean attendance, but it, it's more than that. Under Steve's leadership, this place grew in leadership. It grew in discipleship. It, it grew in what it meant to really be a church family, didn't it? Uh, so, so, so many of you, the majority of you, you were part of that last five-year period. You were, you were part of that journey. 
And what I love is in the fall, he talked to you and he gave you a challenge. Some of you will remember that. He stood in front of you and, and he said, you know, we've experienced all this growth and I'm going to be transitioning to the Troy campus. You know, for many of you, that was a hard day, right? So I'm going to transition to the Troy campus uh, to provide leadership to all 14 campuses. And he said, but one of the things I've taught you is what it means to be a church family. Not to really be consumed with the personality of the guy up front. And it was his nice way of saying, when I hand the reins over to some knucklehead guy, don't leave, y'all. That's what he was trying to say. He was saying, just because we end up with some weird guy up front, you shouldn't all leave just because I'm not there anymore. And, and we don't often do this, but I want to give you an update real fast. I want to give you an update because this is, this is pretty cool. You have done exactly what Steve asked you to do. I just want you to know that you have honored the challenge that he gave. Over the past 11 Sundays, nine of them have been over 800 people, which is awesome. Like, yeah, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. And um, here, you know, just as a guy walking with you in the journey, I look at that and just shake my head because just facility-wise, we shouldn't be able to hold that many people. But yet it, it's a church family, isn't it? We come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, not really consumed with, well, do I have enough elbow room or not? We just come in and do this thing together. And um, it, it's incredible to be part uh, of a journey like that. Just incredible. So the Lord continues to bring more people. More people continue to roll up their sleeves and say, I, I want to serve and I want to give and I want to be part of this, which is so, so exciting. But what it also means is I would say we've hit a point, but we hit the point a long time ago. We're in a lot of areas. We're out of room. And you guys know this, you know, like some of you, you're in this service and not the 10 o'clock service because of that very thing. Like we have people going to the 8.30 service just to try to make a little bit more room. Just so you know, though, in the 10 o'clock service, we've had weekends where people are sitting literally folding chairs in the aisle or folding chairs. I learned, here's what I learned. I can't exit this way anymore because sometimes folding chairs will go almost all the way to the wall and I, I literally can't get out. And so we've got to do something. So if you're new with us today, you need to know this. You're walking into a building campaign. Like we are in the process of building right now, just so you know. And if you're not new with us, let me just update you because I promise to keep you updated along this journey so we could stay together. Uh, here's the update. The architect has been hard at work over the past three to four weeks finalizing the drawings and counting the cost. We want to know exactly what this is going to cost. We have some estimates, but we're past that now. Okay, it's go time. So we need to get past estimate stage and get to the what does this thing really cost stage and what are we really going to do. Just so you know, the plan is to not tear down anything that's existing. We need the buildings we have now. So we don't, we're not tearing them down. Nothing that's existing is, I mean, there's going to be some holes, just so you know. Like, so this room will still be here, but there's going to be holes there and there and there because that's where the new worship center will be, right? So it's going to be right there, and, and the goal will be to be able to walk right through there into a little hallway into the new worship center, which is just twice the size of this one. The stage will be in the same spot. Like everything will be kind of like where I'm standing will be restrooms, I think. I think this is, I think this is the men's room here. I think the women's room... <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work, like, but I, I trust them through the process. So we're going to keep working on this. If everything goes according to plan, over the next three to four weeks, the plan will go to the leadership team in Troy. Um, and then if all the things that we need to be able to break ground happens, by fall, we will be putting a shovel in the ground. By fall, which means by back to school, 
we should be able to move in of the next year. Okay, so back to school of next year, the building should be finished, at least part of it. This will have to come during the next stage, of course. We're not going to build restrooms during church. So it's going to be a process. I just, I want to encourage you in this. Just keep, uh, keep being in prayer for this as, as we're working our way through the process. We want to be good stewards with that every single penny. I know that there's been one question that's kind of come up more than any other question, and that is, well, Pastor, why don't we just build a bigger worship center? Like, why don't we build like a thousand seat worship center, and then we can just all be together. That'd be pretty cool. And here's the answer. We want to be good stewards. That's the answer. Like, it's going to be expensive just to do this. And so uh, the plan would be to put a, a new worship center right beside this, where that big tree is outside. Many of you walk past the tree on the way in. The tree will go away to put a new worship center on the top floor and then kids' space on the bottom that would match. Like, it's just a, a, a square. That's what it is. It's a square. So the, the worship center here, the kids' area underneath. And the reason for that, children aren't the future of the church. They're part of the church right now. So if you have a place for all of us to gather, you got to have a place for kids too, and we want that to be, to be well done. So it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time for sure, but I do want you to continue to be in prayer. If you have any questions, if you have any questions at all about the, the building, uh, right out the doors and to the left, we have some drawings there. There's going to be a TV monitor there. Kristen Legato will be there. She's our director of our neighborhood groups. Uh, she'll be there to answer questions. So any questions you may have, if you're like, now, where is this going to be located? Where is that going to be located? Again, it's pretty simple. Worship center on top, kids area on the bottom. Like, it's, it's pretty just bam, bam, there it is. And so, but if you have questions you want to look through it, we'd love to answer any questions that you have. All right, it's time to jump in. So let's go to our Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. I want to go back to the question, what does the Lord want from you? What does the Lord want from you? As you are ramping up into this summer season, what does the Lord want from you? I just want to go ahead and go over the big idea now. The big idea is through faith, you should surrender to the Lord. Through faith, you should surrender to the Lord. Now, I want to call time out because some of you have been going to church for a while, and you're probably sitting there thinking, really, pastor? Like, seriously? Like, you get, you get a freestyle weekend, you can just preach what you feel, and you're going to come back with Christianity 101. Like, this is as basic as it comes. Like, you, you could have brought anything. You could have... You could have preached anything in the whole Bible, answered the question we've all had for our whole lives, and this is what you're going to give us, through faith, surrender to the Lord, and the answer is absolutely. Absolutely, and here's why, because I think it is so easy for mission drift to occur, and I think that we can take what it means to be followers of Jesus and dump it upside down on his head to where all of a sudden what we start to act like is that God is there to serve us. I think if we're not real, real careful, what we start to do is act like God is there to answer any prayer that we have, and he wants us happy, and he wants us wealthy, and he wants us wise, and everything else. That's what really Christianity is about, and that is wrong. That is not what Scripture teaches. Through faith, we want to surrender to the Lord. So what I'd love to do is just read Ephesians 3, 14 and following. This is a prayer from Paul. I just want to read this, and then we'll spend some time picking it apart just a little bit. The Bible says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you being filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So you have goals, right? You have goals for this coming season. Personal goals, work goals. I have goals. This church does. Just stop and look at the monitor, right? We have goals. Let's be clear, though. He can do immeasurably more. And I, and I have a feeling that the Lord looks at the drawings for a building at the bricks and mortar, and he's, he's probably like, really? That's the best you got? Like, come on, give me something bigger. Like, that's the best, you know, that's the biggest dream you have because it doesn't even start to compare with changed lives for generations to come. doesn't even start to compare. You guys don't even know. But let's be so, so clear before we even get started this morning that it's not to puff us up. It's not for our egos. What is it for? It is for His glory. That's what Scripture tells us. This is about Christ and His glory. So if we want to serve Christ for His glory, it starts with prayer, doesn't it? It starts with prayer. It starts with worship. Look what Paul says again in verse 14. For this reason, listen close to how he says it. For this reason, I bow my knees before, look what he says, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Do you hear the intimacy there? Do you hear how relational and how personal that is? He calls him the Father. And I know we don't even think about because you've probably been in church long enough where you don't even think about calling God Father because you're like, that sounds like a churchy thing to say. Oh, God, heavenly, wonderful Father or something. You know, you're like, I, I think it's in there somewhere. But for a Jewish person, they had such a, an honor and an awe of God, they wouldn't have even written his name. Church, they would not even write his name. And so for Paul to say, you can call him Father, it lines up with how Jesus taught us to pray, doesn't it? Now, maybe like me, you grew up in that church where you learned the Lord's Prayer, and you probably said it every Sunday, right? I, I grew up in one of those churches where I just said it every day. Although if you start reading the Bible, what you find is the Lord taught us that prayer again later in Scripture, but he changes all the words around, and then that gets real confusing because you almost want to say, did the Lord forget his own prayer? You know, what happened? Why is it different? No, no, it's because it's a model of how we should pray. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you start to pray, here's how you should do it. You should say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And when you slow down, here's what he's saying. Our, our Father, Dad, Daddy, it's intimate, it's personal, right? It, it, it's this close relationship. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name is what that means. Holy, revered is your name. I want you to try something because Jesus, when he's teaching us, he says, I want you to start by declaring who it is you're talking to. Before you get down to here's what I want and here's what I need, here's what I need my relationships and my finances and my health, before I get to that, start with this. Lord, here's who you are. Declare who it is you're talking to. And some of you, you don't do that. Like you, you don't even know how to do that. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. This week, take your Bible and open up to the book of Psalms. And as you read through the book of Psalms, I want you in your journal to write down every description of God that it gives. You're a strong tower. You're a refuge. 
You're my hiding place. You're the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. You're a rescuer. You're my salvation. Lord, you are a mighty warrior. Church, write it down. And then I just want you to spend a season. Tell him who he is. Just stop by, start by looking at the word. Start by looking at his holy word and telling him what his word says about him. God, this is who you are. And when you do that, it's going to put into perspective who he is and who we are. Does that make sense? It's going to put in perspective who he is and who we are. And as you keep reading, as you keep reading, it's going to clarify who you are. You see, sometimes I think we start to cut ourselves down so much that we almost go way too, we don't almost, we go way too far, church. And all of a sudden you look in the mirror and the person you're looking at in the mirror, you say, you're junk and you've done this and you, I can't believe you. And do you know, and we start just to rip and tear ourselves apart, don't we? That's what we do. But all of a sudden when you read the word of God, what happens when you look in the mirror? You're forgiven. You're loved. You're a son or a daughter of the most high. That's what you're going to say when you look in the mirror. Do you see this? Jesus says, start with this place of intimacy. Start by declaring who it is you're talking to. And when you do that, church, when you do that, it leads to a place of worship, right? We oftentimes, when we think of worship, you're going to get so tired of hearing me say this, but I'm going to keep saying it. We so often, when we think of worship, we think of music. And I love music because it's, Art gives you this emotional drive toward worship. But what worship is, is it's our response to a holy and an awesome God. It's where we change our lives because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never, ever changes. But in this prayer, just think about it. Before I get to help me, bless me, protect me, what do you end up saying? You say, your kingdom come, your will be done. You know what you're saying when you say that? Selflessly, you're saying, God, before you say yes, before, before you say no, before you don't even answer, I trust you. I wholeheartedly trust you. And I'm going to take my life and I'm going to get it in line with your ways because I trust you. Do you see the worship there? Worship, church, worship is what you and I were made to do. It's what we were created to do. We were created to spread his name to all the nations. That starts in your home. You gotta live it out in your home first. Worship taps into the heart of what we were created to do. When I, when I think about what you were created to do, I start to think about, I know it's weird, but I start to think about my fish tanks just a little bit. Because uh, for years, I've, I've done fish tanks. Love fish tanks, love them. And uh, it started once I got back from Malawi, Africa. Went to Malawi on a mission trip. Uh, back in the day, I came back from Malawi. Lake Malawi has these fish called cichlids. So my very first tank, they were freshwater tanks, and, and they were cichlid tanks. Here's an example. This is not one of mine. You'll see one of my tanks in a little bit. Um, but this was not one of mine. It's a good representation, though, of a cichlid tank. And so cichlids are bright-colored freshwater fish. They're, they're smart, but they're aggressive, too. Like, don't. Don't put a goldfish in there. Like, it would be bad news for a goldfish. It just, it wouldn't end well. You see, you see all the little caves and all the little hidey holes because cichlids, sometimes they need places to hide and they'll be sneaky and stuff. And so I would watch these fish for hours and hours and hours. And we did this 
I mean, we did this for years, right? We had cichlid tanks. And then I realized, like, what I like about them so much, I looked at them, I said, well, they're bright, kind of like saltwater fish. And then I'm like, why, why don't I just buy a tank off Craigslist? Because that's what everybody does. And I'll just, I'll build a saltwater tank. And so saltwater tanks, um, they're, they're unique, right? Kind of like sushi. Sushi starts with rice. Everything is about the rice when it comes to sushi. With saltwater tanks, it's all about the salt water. You gotta get your water right, and that takes some time. Just so you know, I'm building one in my office, like right now. Like right now, it's brand new. It's like three weeks old, so it's it's a fresh tank, and it's not there yet. So uh, anyway, as I started to learn, it's all about tanks. I thought I was getting into it for the fish, and what I learned is the corals. It's all about the corals. The corals are so cool. You think you're looking at a rock? but it's not. Go ahead and go to the next one. As you look at the next one, you're going to look at mushrooms. There is a war zone going on under the ocean, and so many of you didn't realize this, but corals are at war with each other. You see right here we have mushrooms. It's a time-lapse video, and what I want you to watch is as the time goes, you're going to see the mushroom corals start to kind of umbrella out. Right? Do you see it starting to do it? It starts to umbrella out, and what it's doing is it's hogging all the light from anything that might be underneath it. So if there was another coral underneath there, it fans itself out to say, I'm going to live and you're going to die. But there's other forms of warfare. It's not just I'm going to soak up the light. Look at this next one. These are zoanthids. And uh, zoanthids, what they do is they use um, chemical warfare. Like they try to kill you with poison. So they will... They will, they will close up when they feed, and they open up to collect the light. And so when they, when they get nervous because a fish gets too close or another coral, it'll, it'll close up into a ball, and polytoxins will shoot up. Guys, that can kill you. Like, polytoxins are horrible. Like, it's not good at all. Like, there's people that have been put in the hospital because the polytoxins in their tank. So I'm not going to do zoanthids in the church tank, but they're, they're real dangerous. They're real dangerous. And the... So the next one is actually going to be my tank that I had over in Kalamazoo. And while it's playing, let me tell you what happens. I went to the pet store, and when I went to the pet store in Kalamazoo, I told them, you know, I'm getting my, my corals going. This is green star polyps. I'll tell you about that in a second. And uh, so I said, so how do you feed your corals? And here's what they said. They said, well, I have one with wavy arms. You know, the wavy arm one. I'll show you the wavy arm one in a second. They said, but we just take our hand and stick the food in there and it'll take the food out of my hand and it'll, it'll eat the food. And I go, yeah, is that safe? And they go, well, I mean, your hands feel slimy when you take your hand out and your arm will go numb because of the, the toxins. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why would I make my arm go numb? So I use a turkey baster. So here we go. With my turkey baster, this is a torch coral. That's one of those ones that will wave around and you notice the mushroom, that orange mushroom to the left, that's the closest thing to it. Because this thing will reach over and sting and kill anything that's close to it. And uh, so the first thing I showed you, it looked like waving grass, right? That's green star polyps. They don't sting you and they don't, they don't try to hog all the light. They just grow so fast. Like they'll cover the back of your tank. They'll cover your filters. They'll cover your heaters. They cover everything. Their plan is... You can try to kill us, but we're going to grow so fast that you can't possibly kill us. We're going to win by conquering you that way. And here's why. All the corals are all interacting. Isn't this fun? Like, this is my tank. Like, I just, I would get just kind of lost staring at it for hours. Anyway, let me show you the next one. Watch this one. This one. You saw some of my mushrooms. This guy. 
Look at this, this is why the corals have to do what they do. This is a little coral banded shrimp and he keeps my tank clean and he'd run around, he'd do all his little stuff. I don't have any of this right now. I just have rock and like just little bitty ones. But when you watch him, what he would do, he would crawl right in the middle of corals when you would feed it big stuff and he would just like steal, like he would steal whatever food and then he'd run real fast and hide in the rocks so no one else could get the food. He's a, he's a crazy man, look at him. He just, he's doing his thing. All right, here's, here's the deal. I, <laughs> I didn't show you all of that so that everyone could run home and start saltwater tanks. Oh, if you want to, it's great. I'll help you and we'll talk and it'll be, it'll be great fun. We'll become best buddies. But the reason, the reason I shared that with you is because those corals, they're doing exactly what God created them to do. Each and every single one. Nothing more, nothing less. They're just doing what God created them to do. You and I were created to worship. We were created to worship the Lord. That's why we were created. To continue to echo the truth of God to generation to generation. That's why we're here. I love how John Piper said it. He said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Church, it starts in this intimate place of prayer, doesn't it? And when you get to that intimate place of prayer where you call him Father, and you continue to that place of declaring who he is, there's no other possible result other than worship. Let's pick, pick back up with uh, verse 17 here. It says this. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Churches, there, there's truth and there's grace, right? There's justice and there's love. And I have a responsibility to preach the whole gospel message, not just the part that sounds good, not just the part that makes me feel good, right? There, there's truth, though, and there, there's grace, there's justice, and there's love. But look at verse 17 again. You and I, we're supposed to be rooted in love. So can I just say before you read anything else and what it just said right there, if you're holding on to bitterness against your mom or your dad right now, your son or your daughter, that person who used to be your friend, that person who's your boss or a coworker right now, that neighbor, whoever it is that you're holding on to that bitterness and that anger and that grudge against, if you're holding on to that, let me just tell you, you're not being rooted in love. That's the opposite. That's self. That's all about self. That's not love. Love is selfless. Right? That, that's the opposite of worship that we just talked about. That's the opposite of that. But once you understand what it means to be rooted in love, look what it says. It says, then you'll start to really grab a hold. You'll comprehend the height and depth and length and width of the love of Christ. A love that surpasses all knowledge. And that's humbling. That surpasses knowledge. Because early in my Christian journey, this was a hang-up for me. Maybe it's not for you, but it was a hang-up for me because I wanted my questions answered. I wanted to know. I wanted to know everything there was to know about God. And I wanted to know why did he do this and why did he do that? Did Adam have a belly button or not? Like I wanted to know everything. And if I couldn't understand everything, I was just going to be an angry guy. You know, I was going to be bitter. I was going to have my questions. I was going to be cynical. But then as I read Isaiah 55, it made a little bit more sense. Isaiah 55 says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways, they're higher than our ways. 
declares the Lord. You see, if I understand everything there is to understand about God, then my God's about that big, isn't he? There's no, if there's no mystery to God, if I can understand everything, who am I? If I can understand everything there is to understand about God, then I am totally missing it. I don't know who God is. That's why we're going to go back and we're going to read again to see everything it says about the Lord. We need to know who the Lord is because it puts it in perspective. God is bigger than you. He's bigger than me. This is about his glory. Now, have you ever, before, have you ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and looked out? Anyone? You've been to the Grand Canyon? All right, some. How about in the middle of a summer night, just laid there and looked up at the stars in the sky? I stood on the shores of Lake Michigan and just looked out. Or stood on the shore of the Atlantic Ocean or Pacific Ocean or whichever ocean, just, just looked out. You know what scripture says? It says that his love is so much deeper than that. So much higher than that. And so much wider and longer than that. Talk about things that make you smile. That makes me smile. That's awe-inspiring to me. And that God, with that kind of love, he wants to fill us with all fullness. Isn't that incredible? That is absolutely beautiful. Let's finish with this. Look at verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory and the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Following Jesus is so upside down from anything you're going to encounter. It just is. I mean, we have our dreams, we have our goals, but he's able to do abundantly, exceedingly, way, way, way more than what we could dream or imagine. But it's always going to go back to it's not our talent that does it. It's not our knowledge that does it. It's not our wisdom. It's his power at work within us. That's where incredible things happen. If you're having problems forgiving that person, whoever that person is, maybe it's because you're trying to do it from some book you read, not named the Bible. Maybe we need to try it through his power. Why not just stop and say, God, I need you to intervene. If you can create the whole universe, maybe you could intervene in this relationship. Maybe start there. Asking God to get right in the middle of us. And the results will be that he's going to be glorified, not just right now, but to our kids, our great-grandkids, our great-great-grandkids. It just continues throughout all generations. Now, one of my favorite pictures of this, trying to understand, man, where's an example of what that posture of prayer looks like? Being rooted in love looks like. Understanding how high and wide and long and deep the love of Jesus is. What's a good example? I think we see it with Jesus. Right, Jesus, one day, he was sitting on the steps because that's how you would teach in the first century. Teachers would sit, students would stand. We've got it all reversed now, right? But Jesus was sitting on the steps one day when there was a ruckus at the back of the crowd. These guys were coming through, and I'm just trying to picture the scene. You hear these guys yelling, move, move, get out of the way. We're coming through. Where's the teacher? Can you see the scene? They take this woman throw her right down at the feet of Jesus. Now remember, there, there's truth and there's grace. There's love, there's justice, but there's, there's truth. Here's what they say. They say, Jesus, this woman, this woman's been caught in the act, Jesus. The law says, the truth says, she gets a death penalty for that. 
And so they pick up their rocks. Do you see it? They pick up their rocks. Jesus, we're supposed to throw rocks at her until she's dead. And they look at him, what do you say, Jesus? What do you say we're supposed to do? You know what's interesting? I'm sure you've heard this, this passage preached a hundred different times. But have you ever heard anyone say Jesus then picked up his rock and said, you're right, we need us a kill him party? We do. We need a kill him party because that's what truth says. That's what she deserves. See, Jesus never one time, did he? He never said, uh-uh, that's not what it, he didn't say that. He never told them that they were wrong, that that's the law. He never once said that. So we don't know, did he pick up a stone or not? We but here's what we know. We know that Jesus got down on a knee and started to draw in the dirt. We don't know what he drew in the dirt, but he drew in the dirt. And then he stood up. We don't know if his hands were empty or if he had, we don't know. But here's what we know. He looked at them. The guy's ready with the killing party because she deserved it. And he said, whoever, who's never, never sinned, you're going to be the one to cast the first stone. If you've never sinned, go ahead, throw it, do it. The Bible says, one by one, starting with the oldest, going to the youngest, one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away, rooted in love. I share that story with you because I think that that woman, on that day, she understood the depth of the love of God. What do you think? I think she understood how high the love of God goes. I think she understood how long and how wide the love of God. In that moment, she got it. Jesus never told her what you're doing is good. He did not ever step away from what's true. He never called something wrong right. But talk about being rooted in love. So church, I've shared all this with you today as a form of a challenge. As we get ready for this next season of ministry as brothers and sisters in Christ, today's message was really intended for the church, for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. I want us to challenge ourselves to continue to be rooted in love, to come to a place of intimacy in our prayer lives where we call him Father, or we're not shared to tell him who he is and go to that intimate place. I want us to love the Lord our God so much that we read his holy word and we do what it says. And I want us to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is where it gets messy. Because people are messy. They're going to say things. They're going to do things. I want us to love people so much that they understand the depth of Christ. Don't you? I want them to experience what we have experienced, the fullness of the love of God. I want them to experience a love so wide and so deep that they are never, they understand they're never too far to be rescued from Him. Because when we continue to live that out, generations will continue to be impacted. Father, we thank You. We thank You for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you for lives that can be surrendered to you. Lord, I thank you for George. I thank you that you rescued him all those years ago before I was even born. Lord, you rescued him in those fields. 
and you give us the opportunity to walk arm in arm in ministry here. God, I thank you for those in this room, for those that are traveling today. I do want to ask that you continue to restore relationships between parents and children, between husband and wife, between brothers and sisters, between friends. Lord, we want the world to know you because of the love that we have for each other. Give us a hunger this summer. Don't let us go through the motion of just soaking up the sun like a mushroom in a fish tank. Let us be bigger than that, Lord, in the way that we pursue you. We want to bring you honor and glory with all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.